This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 301, and we are recording on October 5th. I'm Jen Northington. I'm here with Amanda Nelson. We are coming to you from Book Riot, which is officially 10 now for the record. Book Riot turned 10. My children (laughs) and my company are the same age. (laughs) (laughs) That's bananas. (laughs) Isn't that weird? Well, for the record, like, I think 10 years on the internet is at least, like, 50 years in real time. Oh, my God. It's like dog years of a job. Like, normal people have normal jobs. Internet knowledge workers have dog year jobs. We're like, we are all now in our 70s. You're welcome. Yeah. I feel that on a fundamental level. Yeah, like, it's in my cells. Like, my joints hurt. My brain is leaking out of my ears. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's too true. Uh, let's see. Right. So Book Riot is 10. This is our 301st episode, which is also wild. Mm-hmm. And we are doing part two of Ask Us Anything because we got so many great questions from listeners. But if you are tuning in for the first time, welcome. This is not how the show usually works. How it usually mm-hmm. works is it is a reading recommendation show, like it says in the top. So you can send in your requests for a reading recommendation, maybe you need a book that's like one that you love that you're having trouble finding something similar. Maybe you need a recommendation for a friend or a relative, or perhaps you have a book club that's looking for something to read, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You can send in those requests either to email getbooked at bookriot.com, or you can drop them in the form that is in the show notes on the site for every episode. And if you have a time-sensitive request, you're hoping to hear back by a certain date, please put time-sensitive, all caps, (laughs) either in the subject line of the email or the very first line of the form. We will do our best. If we're not going to get to you on air, we might shoot you an email. So look out for those. And we have a little housekeeping Mm -hmm. before we get into our Ask Us Anything questions uh, related to it being our 10-year anniversary. We are running a limited edition merch line, which has hoodies and sweatshirts and totes and more, all in our signature logo colors and with Book Riot branding. And these are only going to be available this month, October 2021. And let me tell you, that yellow is so good. It's so autumnal. It is. It is extremely appealing. So you can go to bookriot.com slash merch, M-E-R-C-H, to check it out. Again, limited edition, 10-year celebration. Huzzah. (laughs) Uh, And let's see what else. Oh, right. So we are also hiring. We have a full-time temporary position for an editorial ops associate, which works with me, yours truly. (laughs) And uh, you should, if you are interested in a temporary full-time position with Book Riot, you should definitely apply. There will be a link to that job listing in the show notes. That is closing on October 11th. So if you're interested, click that sooner than later. Come work with us for like six months. Four, three months. 
It's t- it's temporary. Yeah, I was going to say three to four months is yeah. probably what it is. Yeah, yeah. a few months. <laughs> but you never know what could happen. Uh, okay, so let's see. Our... All right, so we're moving into our Ask Us Anything questions. And the first batch, it's actually a batch from mm-hmm. Mandy. So I'm going to read them all and we'll take an ad break and then we'll come back and start answering them. So Mandy's questions are, one, how can I be a better recommender of books? Two, what kind of questions are the hardest slash easiest? And three, favorite episode. But first, let us take a sponsor break. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95. And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Gallery Books. So Anna Green thought she was marrying Liam West for access to subsidized family housing while at UCLA, which is an interesting reason to marry someone, but you know, in this economy. So anyway, she signed divorce papers when the graduation caps were tossed and she thought she was done. Eh, she wasn't. Three years later, Anna is a starving artist living paycheck to paycheck while West is a Stanford professor. Now he is part of a conglomerate. His family owns this mega grocery store chain. He's not interested in working for them, but he is interested in those greenbacks, honey, that come in the form of a $100 million inheritance. To get it, he has to be married for five years. That's where our girl Anna comes back into play. So the two will fake a marriage, but as he gets to know her and gets to appreciate the feisty, foul mouth, paint splattered girl that she is, he'll begin to wonder if the money is worth the love of his life. Pick up The Paradise Problem by Christina Lauren to find out if it is. And thanks again to Gallery Books for sponsoring this episode. Okay, how can you be a better recommender of books? We just had a post go up about this, actually. Oh, did we? I didn't see it. Yeah, yeah, we did. I will link to it in the show notes because it was like a template for how to be a good book recommender. So I'll link to that in the show notes. But personally, I think the most important thing in being a good recommender of books is that you have to think about what the other person wants mm-hmm. and not just what you like. Mm-hmm. Like my, of course, when I love a book, I want everybody to read it. But the factor of the matter is, is that not every book is for every reader, right? Like mm-hmm. everybody has their own tastes. And in addition to not yucking others' yums, it's important to actually consider like, what is the thing that they are looking for and not just what you think is good. Amanda, what, yeah. do you have things to add to that? I was thinking back to 
when I was a bookseller, because I think that's like the true, like the most pure distillation of book recommendation, because you have so many constraints, you have time, you don't know the person in front of you, you have a limited inventory. Um, And so I think that the things that I took away mostly from being a bookseller was that you have to be extremely widely read if you want to be a really good recommender of books, because the person might be asking you for something in a genre that you don't like reach for first. Mm. If you're not like doing this professionally, I don't know that that's necessary. <laughs> you know, like I don't know that you need to like, I'm going to go read some fantasy, even though I've never read fantasy, just in case someone asks me for a fantasy recommendation. <laughs> I don't know that that's necessary. But that's that's a thing that I thought of um, that I think is true. Also, I think having a set of questions, because the thing that like my mother does this to me all the time, what should I read next? I don't know. Mm. Like what? (laughs) What did you just read? You know, like, so having a set of questions that helps you get at what the person actually wants is helpful. So like, I always ask, what is the last book you read that you loved? And what's the last book you read that you hated? And that will give you a bunch of guardrails. It'll give you the genres they like. It'll give you usually if they're a person who reads a lot of like frontless literary fiction or bestsellers or if like they only read John Grisham or whatever. Like there's a lot of information in that answer of, to those two questions that will help you narrow down what they're looking for. It, I don't like to be put on the spot now that I don't do this for a living anymore, yeah. like in a store. So I usually am like, I don't, I usually now at this point, honestly, I'm like, I don't know, go look at the site. Like we have something. Right. Like, just, just t- <laughs> type it in the search bar. I don't know. Leave me alone. Right, <laughs> right into my podcast. Yeah. But, but, that's right. but those two questions I think are the most um, useful. What's the last book you loved and what's the last book you hated? And that'll help you. Yeah. Yeah. Wise words. Uh, what kind of questions are the hardest, easiest? Meaning, I'm pretty sure what kind of questions that we get on the show mm-hmm. are the hardest, easiest. The hardest ones are always the ones where people are hyper specific because mm-hmm. sometimes the, this book just doesn't exist. Like I'm thinking of the stage hand question from just a couple episodes ago oh, because yeah. the person who wrote in was like, do these only exist about stage managers? Because that's not what I want. And it's true. Like nobody is writing books featuring people who work backstage in theater that aren't stage managers. So it's like, well, I have other books that are similar, but not what you're looking for. So those questions to me are the hardest. Yeah. I, yeah. The hardest ones for me are, are like read-alikes for books that are super singular, that are brand mm. new. So like when we, when Circe first came out, we had so many questions about yeah. read-alikes for Circe, but there weren't any. Like that was the reason why Circe was so popular and the reason why Long Way to a Small Angry Planet was so popular and right. the reason why the House by the Cerulean Sea was so popular is because they were one of a kind. Like they were very new to this generation of readers and there weren't real likes. <laughs> so right. we like, I feel bad about ignoring the questions, but we don't have an answer for you. And, I, right. and that like, an, that irritates me. I hate not having an answer for someone. So those are the hardest ones for me. We have to sit on them until publishing is like, yeah. oh, a trend. And then like comes out with more, <laughs> with more of things that are like it. Which takes at least a year. A year. Minimum yeah. a year. Takes yeah. a year because they want to see the sales numbers. As far as the easiest ones, it's always like, name me a romance. On right. it. No problem. <laughs> or the ones that are specific to us. I love those questions. People are like, just tell me something you really like. No problem. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. on it. Yeah. Can do. <laughs> favorite episode. Amanda, what's your favorite episode of Get Booked? My favorite episode is the live recording we did with Sarah McLean at Book Riot Live. <laughs> that will remain my favorite episode because I made so many awkward sexual jokes <laughs> in front of like a hundred people <laughs> that you can hear if you want to go back and listen to it. I You can hear me blushing. Like you can hear it happening. It's so, <laughs> But it was a good time. Nice. Yeah. Nice. What about you? I really enjoyed 
the retrospective episode that mm. we did. Mm-hmm. It was it was really interesting to look back and see what we had been recommending and whether or not I would still recommend it mm-hmm. and why. That was that was a fun exercise. Yeah. All right. Our next question is from Colleen, who says, I have only read a few books that are so memorable to me that I actually remember the experience of reading them more than the content of the book. For example, I read 100 Years of Solitude during my lunch breaks when I was working a mindless summer job about 10 years ago. I can vividly remember where I sat while reading and how the book made me feel. I would look forward to those breaks daily and treasure that reading experience. Have you experienced this? And if so, with what book? What an interesting question. So like sense memory kind of? Yeah, I think I have two. I have a similar one to you where I I read War and Peace on my lunch breaks at an awful, awful receptionist (laughs) job at an ear, nose and throat doctor in town. Um, It's Virginia ear, nose and throat. If you live in Richmond, don't work there. They're terrible. I will take this to my grave like the worst. Anyway, and I got so much shit for reading that book on my lunch break. Like everybody made fun of me. These are adults I'm talking about. Adult human Mm. (laughs) beings. Doctors. Doctors who spent like 14 years in school made fun of me for reading War and Peace on my lunch break. So I have this, I like, that's visceral. (laughs) Like, I can go back to being like, if you don't shut up, I'm going to come across this table, doc, and just punch punch you with the book. Like, this is what's going to happen. And then the other one, oh, what was it? Oh, it was The Bell Jar. I have a very distinct memory of reading The Bell Jar in high school. And it's not even of reading it. It's of having the class discussion about it because it was assigned. I think it was my junior year. And I remember having a dude in my English class go off on this book for being like self-indulgent and whiny and all of it. And I remember having this like awakening of like, oh, men are stupid. Like, not whatever. Like, don't at me. But it was the first time as as a I don't know, like a growing into adulthood person that I was like, man, they're just he. This is what he's saying right now is sexist. Like, I had of course personally experienced Mm. sexism directed at me, but I hadn't generalized it to like, oh yes, all men actually until that moment when he was just entirely dismissing a book about major mental illness because he found the protagonist whiny like it was really informed that that was a moment that has stuck with me yeah i have this with every book i like <laughs> i i i had never thought i didn't realize this was not normal or like common or that somebody might only have it with one or two books because pretty much every book that i really love i can almost assuredly tell you where i was and what I was doing and like what format I read it. Like I, I just I have I have a very strong sense memory, I guess, mm. for reads. Uh if I'm like trying to pick like an extremely memorable one. So I, I remember we had this uh very old, like used, you know, bookstore editions of The Lord of the Rings. My brothers and I would fight over who got to be rereading them at any given moment. And we were on a plane trip to California to visit my mom's side of the family. And I left the two towers in the seat back pocket of the plane. And they were so mad at me. (laughs) So like, there's one for you. But I I mean, I have like, I have one of these from last week from two months ago. Like, I don't know. I have a I apparently have a very strong sense memory feelings for books. It's interesting to think about. Are you a person who has an like an internal monologue? when you're just living your life? Like, do you narrate your life to yourself? 
Yeah, it's an interesting question. I never quite know how to answer that question either. So I will say that when I read, I see the movie. Okay. I'm not hearing the words. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, some people like they're reading every word. I just don't even remember pages for the most part. Like it's just turns into a movie, goes straight from my eyeballs into a movie in my brain. But I think I like I don't I don't quite know how to answer the monologue question because I am always sort of thinking about what I'm doing. Is that the same thing? I don't know. I just think that they're related. Like if you have a memory, because maybe if you narrate what you're doing to yourself, you would be more likely to remember specific moments. I don't. This is just a thing I came up with now. Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) We have we have gone far off the rails. on this one. Sorry, Colleen. (laughs) If you know about if you know about memory creation and you would like to write us in to tell us what is going on inside of my brain, please feel free. It's an interesting that that was way rabbit holier than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> All right. Well, let's see. Our next question is our next batch is from Stephanie. We're going to take these one at a time. The first question is, what have we learned from reading fiction? How has it shaped your life philosophically or practically? I mean, I don't even know where to start. Seriously. Like, I, <laughs> I, uh, everything, mm-hmm. I, like, truly, I am the human I am today because of all of the fiction I read. Mm-hmm. I didn't start reading nonfiction until probably, well, high school. High school. I got obsessed with Thor Heyerdahl. I think that was my first, like, <laughs> real foray into nonfiction. But yeah, I I think I think what happens to me is I learn about something first from fiction and then I go look it up Ooh, to see yeah. to find the nonfiction corollary or like to pursue the idea or the histor history or the whatever more. So that's my story. <laughs> yeah, I mean same. I, I I think that especially I don't want, I'm not gonna say my personality is shaped by fiction because I don't think that's true, but the things that my values really are very yeah. shaped by fiction. Like I remember I was a big, I have an Ayn Rand tattoo that I got in college. <laughs> Hashtag regrets, you know, like right. I, I was very much, I was super conservative. I was raised conservative. And then Ayn Rand just took me farther down that rabbit hole until I read The Grapes of Wrath, which completely liberalized me. And I would sit like in my telling, like totally saved my soul. And, and from there, I, I mean, you know, we may, I personally make fun of people who like, you read The Grapes of Wrath and then you're like, oh, right, poor people exist, you know, and, but that's exactly what mm. happened to me, even though I was one of those poor people. Like, I grew up very poor, mm. but I did not apply it to myself until I read a novel about poverty. And it's been the same since then. I mean, I think that novels give me, I'm a, you know, I'm a very like fat, I move from one thing to another, I don't pay a lot of attention to details, that kind of thing. But they give me a moment to really stop and consider and like empathize with situations that I, you know, read in real life. And I'm like, that sucks. But there's nothing I can do about it. So like on I go, you know, but Mm. it's like, it's very, it's a beating. I I don't know, fiction's my beating heart. Like, that's really just Mm -hmm. it. That's it. (laughs) Uh, so the next one, Amanda, is for you. Stephanie says, I love when you talk about things you do with your sons. I think Food Miss was the name of the cookbook recipe one. Mm-hmm. Any other fun traditions or rituals you care to share? Um, Sure. Food Miss is super fun. Food Miss is our, um, we do it like once a month where I let them pick recipes out of some cookbooks that I have. And then I they make the grocery list. We go to the grocery store. They find the ingredients. They cook the thing. Um, I am supervising them, obviously. And this is just like the fun way that I'm teaching them how to cook. And we have other traditions and stuff. I mean, like the most boring one is that we go to the, uh, the same lake every summer, <laughs> that like like a lot of people. But the probably more fun ones are on Christmas Eve. We have a tradition of I buy them new Christmas jammies, 
and myself, and we wear our new Christmas jammies, and we watch White Christmas every Christmas Eve. Mm. And then we have a kind of, I don't know that it's weird, but like a quirky hiking ritual where we usually go to Shenandoah a few times a year, which is the big national park here. It's about an hour west, um, and it's in the Blue Ridge Mountains. And they we all bring one healthy snack and one junk food snack. And we eat the healthy snack like a quarter of the way through the hike. And then we eat the junk food once we get to the top of the mountain. <laughs> and then we go home. Like, I don't know. That's not super interesting. But it's little, like, we have a lot of little things like that. Most of my rituals are around teaching them something because I'm boring and big mom energy, <laughs> you know. Um, but, like, the food one is, or the, the one junk snack, one healthy snack is, like, balance. And food does not have morality attached to it you know like you can eat whatever you want Mm. and all of that so yeah that's a few i'll read jen's there's one for jen that says congratulations (laughs) on swordstone table what was the most challenging part of the process and what was your favorite part thank you for asking swordstone (laughs) table is the anthology i worked on with co-editor swapna krishna it's all arthurian retellings by some really amazing authors and The most, I mean, there were a lot of challenging parts of the process. I think the part that I was the most surprised by, because I didn't realize this was a thing, Mm. is that there were like four editing rounds after we turned in our final manuscript. Like, I'm not even talking about the editing of like the first, like, you know, structural edits and line edits of the individual stories. There were four editorial passes after we turned in the final manuscript, which I already had taken a bunch of editing. And I just kept being like, surely this is the last one. Nope, right. <laughs> there's another one. And it's and it's all like super nitty gritty. But at that point in the process, I was have I was really struggling to be able to see it anymore. Like I think anybody who's ever edited knows that feeling where you're like, I've read this thing a billion times. Mm. I can't see it anymore. It's all just and so I like I genuinely don't know how copy editors do their jobs because my brain loses specificity at that point in the process. So I was extremely grateful for our publishing team who managed to continue to find things that would have been embarrassing had they gone through to the printed version. And there's still still typos in there. I I have so much more, uh, what do I want to say, grace for finding typos in books now that I have done this because let me tell you... It is really freaking hard. To, it is not as easy as you would think to find all of those typos. Uh, what was my favorite part? I think the moment when we got like a publisher contract mm. was. I just I genuinely didn't know if it was going to happen. I had I just did not know for sure. And like obviously having the physical book now this is a real thing in the world was amazing. But it. At that point, you know, we'd been working on it for so long. It was like, that's the payoff. But the part where somebody was like, yes, this is a good idea and I will publish it. That was that was incredible. Uh, All right. Our last question from Stephanie is, what was the last book you hugged after (laughs) finishing it? I do know the answer to this question off the top of my head. I bought that giant Earthsea, all five books in one beautifully illustrated hardcover bound volume from Charles Vest, the Ursula Le Guin Earthsea Chronicles. And I definitely hugged that oh. after I did my reread this past Christmas time. <laughs> uh, this is not my vibe. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever hugged a book, Amanda? No, I have to remind myself to hug my children. So, no, I'm not a hugger of humans or inanimate objects. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> All right, let's see. Our next questioner is Liza, who says, one of my favorite episodes y'all did was when you recommended unrecommendable books. So for the 300th episode, I was wondering if there were any books you would like to add to that list. 
That was a fun episode. The unrecommendable books. Not unrecommendable but because they were bad, but because they just didn't no. fit any questions. And so I think, you know, if I remember correctly, a lot of the ones I picked for that episode were just like really specific nonfiction. And that is still the case. Like, <laughs> I read really specific nonfiction that are, you know, relevant to my interests that aren't relevant to anyone who's asking this question. So like, Don't Call It a Cult by Sarah Berman, I read recently and really loved. And that's about Nexium, which has been in the news recently. Um, Natural Mother of the Child by Chris Malcolm Belk, I loved. Which is mm. a memoir from a non-binary parent about like pregnancy and birth and all of that. But we have the handsaw, and Jen has the note in the agenda about that, that, like, that's kind of what we use that for now. Since we have the bonus episodes, then I don't really... It gives us a place to put all of our unrecommendable books for, like, no one's asking me about this, but gosh darn it, I'm going to talk about it. (laughs) Yeah. 100%. -hmm. Yeah. I mean, just to give you a title that is definitely going to make its way into the Ansel, Intimacies by Katie Kitamura, which is such an interesting and odd Mm. book. It's a novel about a translator who's like having an affair with this guy and meets some people and <laughs> bad things happen at her job and like there's no it's 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 a really sort of I don't even know how to describe see I, mean, I like don't even know how to describe it which is like classic Katie Kidmore right. actually yeah <laughs> one of the reasons I keep reading her books but it is I there will never be a question that that will be the answer to it I don't think I mean it's hard for me to imagine but a hundred percent like this is what I use the hand cell for if people aren't asking and I want to talk about a book it goes in the hand cell yeah. Uh, let's see. Our next question is from D, who says, how do you track your reading? Do you have a journal or do you use a site or app for it? And out of curiosity, what do you track? For example, things like genre, author's race or nationality, gender or sexuality, disability, other things. I'm currently doing a mid-year stats spread in my bullet journal, so I'm curious to see what people usually track. Yeah, my spreadsheet has evolved over the years. Mm-hmm. I have a spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. I, I famously have a spreadsheet. And it is, you know, all the basics, title, author, genre. Although I use my own categories for genre, not like publisher ones, because sometimes I think they're wrong. Slash whatever. <laughs> uh, feelings about genres. I have them. And I track Whether or not the author is marginalized, I track neurodiversity and characters because Mm. that's a thing that I find myself like trying to, especially because we get questions on the show like I'm looking for this kind of character or whatever. It's much easier to be able to sort by that. Uh, I track, oh, country of origin because Mm -hmm. I am the worst at reading internationally. And every year I think this is going to be the year where I do better and then I don't. But I do track it. Mm. (laughs) So. Yeah, uh, also a spreadsheet. Um, I have a spreadsheet. I've been using the same one that goes back eight years. Uh, The categories have not been the same every year. It depends on what I'm focusing on. So I'll just tell you this year, you know, know, it's title, author. I have always tracked women, like how many female authors I'm reading versus male. Though over the years, my understanding of, of gender has changed. I've changed that to cis men and then people who are not cis men um so yeah genre i've checked the format whether i'm reading an ebook paper or audio and that has changed a lot yeah the nationality of the author i am also keeping track of um like jen i didn't care about that until i was asked to judge the best books in translation award and realized that like I really need to be better about this consistently because ju- that judging experience, I just spent an entire year reading 300 books in translation. I was like, man, I am. Right. Th- these are good. And I should focus on this more. I track whether the author is a person of color, whether the book comes from a small press, 
the source, which means like, did I buy it? Is it a library book or is it a galley? Oh, yeah, that's interesting. It's changed a lot. Like my percentage of library book usage has crept up every year since I started Mm. tracking that. And then this year, I was really focusing on queer authors and or characters. So I'm tracking that. And then also indigenous authors and or characters. So I'm tracking that as well. And that's what's in my spreadsheet. Let's take a break. Sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Disney Books. Do y'all like Caribbean mythology? What's more, a thriller inspired by Caribbean mythology? If you do, I got something for you. A must-read thriller that draws from the darkest corners of Caribbean mythology from acclaimed author Sarah Das, who crafts a chilling tale of magic, murder, and how far we'll go to protect what's ours. It's perfect for fans of Angeline Bully and Tiffany D. Jackson. So, unlike other people on the small island of St. Virgil, Selena Da Silva does not believe in magic. She has a logical mind. She likes botany. She wants to study pharmacology. But then her mother gets sick and she's tethered to the island and she has to make money. So what does she do? She cons a couple gullible tourists with these useless talismans and phony protection rituals. But then one of the tourists ends up dead and at the center of a strange string of murders. And the truth Selena has been denying can no longer be avoided. There is evil lurking in the forest that surrounds St. Virgil. Now, to find out what that evil is, make sure to pick up It Waits in the Forest by Sarah Das. And thanks again to Disney Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Avid Reader Press. So this next book is a really fun sounding mashup of different genres. There's a little time travel, a little romance, a little spy thriller action going on. So in the near future, a civil servant is offered the salary of her dreams and is shortly afterward told what project she'll be working on. A recently established government ministry is gathering quote unquote expats from across history to establish whether time travel is feasible for the body, but also for the fabric of space time. This is an exquisitely original and feverishly fun fusion of genres and ideas. The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley asks, what does it mean to defy history when history is living in your house? Colleen Bradley's answer is a blazing, unforgettable testament to what we owe each other in a changing world. It kind of gives Outlander meets Cloud Atlas or If the Time Traveler's Rife was written by Sally Rooney or Colson Whitehead. Make sure to check out The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley. And thanks again to Avid Reader Press for sponsoring this episode. Okay, our next question is from Elle, who says, My family and I just adopted our first puppy. Um, She's an adorable six-month-old sweetheart with a very gentle nature. She was abandoned at the shelter, so we have no information about her, but she has obviously never had any kind of training. My twin 12-year-olds are very excited to jump in and help us train her, but we also need training. Our plan is to let her settle in and get comfortable with us before we enroll her in any kind of classes. I know Amanda has been going through the same thing with her dog. Interestingly enough, our shelter dog was also named Petunia. (laughs) That is bananas. Can you recommend any resources, books, YouTube channels, etc. to give us some very basic beginner level tips? We need it all. House training, crate training, basic commands, the works. Yes, I can. I (laughs) love this question. Thank you for asking about dogs. So McCann Dog Training's puppy series on YouTube. It's McCann Dog Training, I think is the name of the... It's M-C-C-A-N-N. They are a a dog training company out of Canada who has a very useful series of specifically puppy related videos. They're focusing more on like younger puppies. So like most people bring their puppies home at like eight weeks or 12 weeks, depending on the breed. But all of that will be super useful to you, especially for a dog who is like probably still teething and all of that. 
You didn't mention the breed, but if you have a protection breed or if the dog is going to be big enough that like it might be a little hard for your kids to handle, you might want to look at Robert Cabral's YouTube channel. I will say that he is training like police dogs and Rottweilers and kind of Corsos and like very dominant kind of dogs. So some of his method, like he does, he uses certain kind of collars that you like might not be into. And if your dog is super sweet and obedient, then you might not need to go there. But uh, I did find a lot of stuff on his channel, especially the puppy stuff really useful for for like impulse control practicing impulse impulse control and yeah if you have a really big dog that you need to like manhandle a little bit some of his stuff will be useful to you uh and for books puppies for dummies not gonna lie i hate the title (laughs) but it was really great puppies for dummies but it's by sarah hodgson who's an animal behaviorist and it covers all the basics you know crate training um resource guarding how to prevent that which is especially something that shelter dogs can have problems with because I mean, for obvious reasons. And so you'll need to look out for that, especially if you have kids with toys and with food. And with my kids, I got them involved in that stuff, the resource guarding stuff specifically. So like they would feed the dog, they would put their hands in the dog's food, they would hand feed Petunia and all of that so that he now has does not care about them taking food from him. And then you mentioned that you were letting the dog settle in and all of that before you get into puppy classes. And that's cool. I absolutely recommend puppy classes from the SPCA. It's the first class I took Petunia to once he had all of his shots. I would say that I like kind of advise against board and train if you were looking at that, uh, because the dog goes off to a trainer, learns all the commands and then comes back to you. And then you just don't have any context for what the commands are supposed to be. I mean, they'll tell you like we taught him to sit and we taught him stay and all of that. But if you aren't involved in the process, you're not going to be as invested in keeping it up. So it just ends up being like a waste of of money, in my opinion. So yeah, that's my I could talk about this forever. So I'm gonna stop now. (laughs) Good luck. All right. Our next question is an extreme softball from Heather. Thank you, Heather. What is your favorite contemporary romance? Mine is Bet Me by Jennifer Crusey. And though it may be slightly dated now, it's everything I love in a romantic comedy. Plucky, interesting characters who do not suffer fools. I always feel like a reader's favorite romance tells a lot about them. Heather, I just want to give you a side note that that was the first contemporary romance I ever read. Ah! It is not my favorite, but it was one of my introductions into romance so I feel you that is a that is a memorable book is Mm -hmm. what I'm not going to go into details as to why but extremely memorable Um, agreed (laughs) if you know you know (laughs) so this was hard for me though because it's basically whatever the last one I read was I don't know how I have managed this but I have yet to read in the recent past a contemporary romance novel I did not love mm-hmm. and I it must just be that the recommendations I'm only reading the ones that are recommended to me by others or by authors I trust and so I must have like that dialed in extremely correctly mm-hmm. but currently and you heard me talk about this on the hands so currently I am standing for Joe Axelrod's Girl with Stars in Her Eyes because it is just so well done. So well done. So interesting. I love the music parts of it. I love the complicated like group dynamics. I love the like second chance teenage, you know, attachment. Now we're adults and have our own things going on part of it. I love all of it. <laughs> love the characters. So that's my answer. Yeah, it's red, white, and royal, royal blue. Like who how did you <laughs> how did you not know the answer to this question? <laughs> I, I do don't count this as a recommendation because I think I still have some of this <laughs> left this year. So this does not count. But it's definitely red, right, red, white and royal blue, which is I mean, if you don't know a romance between the first son, like the president's son and the second prince of, of the United Kingdom. So it's the best. 
Anyway, okay, Christine is our next question who says, how big of a problem is it to keep buying more books? I feel like supporting art, but at some point, is it a problem? Please say no. <laughs> okay, um, I will keep going. I am going to say no, actually. <laughs> at some point, it is a problem, but we don't have, there's no way to know your personal situation. I think that if it's preventing you from doing responsible adult things with your money that you should be doing mm-hmm. instead of that, then you probably should stop. I mean, libraries exist. That's fine. So if you're like paying your bills on time and, you know, investing in your retirement and you have health care, then go with God. But if you're not doing those things, I would say probably stop. I don't know. I mean, it depends on how much it might. It's like kind of like the latte thing, right? How millennials are told that yeah. they can't buy houses because they buy too many lattes, which is just nonsense. Nonsense. Just complete until whatever. I just let me not. But um, it might be sort of like that. Like if you're spending 20 bucks twice a month on a new book that's not going to change most people's financial situations. But if it's if it's enough that it would change your financial situation, then I would say to look at it. Another thing I would say is like if your part if you have a partner and your partner is annoyed by it, then maybe consider. I don't know. I'm single on purpose, so I do what I want. But <laughs> if you if it's a thing that bothers the people in your household, then that, that's that's something to consider. Yeah, have a conversation yeah. about why. Like, what is the problem? I, yeah, I was gonna. I 100 agree with Amanda. And just to like bring it back to a thing that I feel like everybody loves to misinterpret about Marie Kondo. Mm. They're like, she says, get rid of all your books. Mm. Untrue. Mm-hmm. She, she says, if you if having a bunch of one kind of thing, including books, is gonna make you happy, then that's fine. Mm-hmm. You just have other things that you probably need to clear out to make room for that mm-hmm. thing. So like. Be thoughtful about what it is and why you're having all of them and buying them. But like, yes, support art, you know, live inside of your budget because it is bad news bears when you don't. We we have personally been there yeah, and totally. struggled that struggle. So, yeah, as long as you're not like harming your your daily life with your habits, I feel like go with God mm-hmm. is the answer to that. Sign up for Book Riot deals. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that too. That too. <laughs> I mean, if you're if, legitimately, if you're not signed up for book right deals it's a daily newsletter that we send out where our editorial team like handpicks books that are on sale they're usually like 2.99 or 3.99 um and then you can get them for cheapsies mm-hmm. uh the second part of the question is for me any other anthologies you could recommend so many <laughs> oh my you did goodness. that in the recola recola <laughs> Where do I even start? Like, okay, so the the I will give you two. I will restrain myself and give you two. And these don't count. These all, nothing counts in this episode. Nothing counts. So the first one is the Jin Falls in Love and Other Stories, which was edited by Mavesh Murad and Jared Shuren. This anthology came out a few years back, and I credit it with my updated obsession with sci-fi fantasy anthologies in particular. It was just so freaking good. I just was so into all of the stories. I loved the concept. I loved everything about it. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is this is a thing. And then I started seeking them out more and more and more. And then I ended up working on one and like 100% Jin Falls in Love is part of that story for me. And the other one that I think really showcases work that is otherwise not gonna get much attention is New Sons, edited by the amazing Nisi Shaw, because that is 100% uh, authors of color telling, like, whatever story. There's no theme other than, like, it's sci-fi fantasy and it's by an author of color. And some of these authors are now, you know, 
becoming more known and some of them are still pretty under the radar and some of them you will recognize immediately. But it was such a such a fascinating mix of styles and types of sci-fi fantasy and just all of the good things. And I'm so excited that there's going to be another volume in that series coming out. I want to say next year, if not later this year. So that is extremely good news for all of us. <laughs> so that those are my answers. Uh, all right, let's see. Uh, oh, is this our last it question? Is. We did. We it. finished. We did them <laughs> all. All right. So Ashley has two questions. Two questions. The first is: I've heard you ladies mention book clubs you're in. What type of books do you read for your clubs? I'm currently in a BYOB club. Bring your own book. We bring the books we read that month and give non-spoilery reviews. Mm. Sometimes we borrow another member's book for the month. I love that idea. For the record, yeah. Super, super love that idea. Uh, are you in book clubs right now, Amanda? I am. I Just the one. I've had the same book club with this for a decade now, maybe longer than that. Oh, right. It started when I was still a person who went to church. And some of those people, one of those pe- people is still in, no, it's two. Two of them are still members of this book club, but it is now obviously not a church thing because I don't go to church anymore. And other people have like been added over time. So but it's been pretty steady. Membership has been the same for probably three or four years now. We meet once a month, except during pandemics when we don't. <laughs> and uh, so we everybody's vaccinated. So we're back to meeting in person now. And it's pretty varied. Like we rotate who picks every month. A new person picks the book. We try to we have two rules. It needs to be available in paperback and it needs to be under 350 pages. And sometimes we ignore those rules. Like our, the last person, <laughs> the last book we read was Gideon the Ninth. And that is like 500 pages. <laughs> But everybody loved it. So that was great. So yeah, it's it's everyone picks. Uh, we try to very like mix up the genres. Like if we just did a romance, whoever's going next, we'll try to pick something different. And I keep track of the diversity of the picks that we have. But it's never been a problem. Like the my book club members all read pretty diversely. So that's not been something that I've had to like make a thing about. Uh, and yeah, that's it. We read all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I am dipping in and out of online book clubs right now. So for example, I'm reading along with Erin and Danny's book clubs. And these are two Native women who are doing a different book by an Indigenous author every month. So September's was Crazy Brave by Joe Harjo, which you also turned me talk about on the hand cell. <laughs> like the hand cell, it's where all of our, this doesn't fit a question, but I'm going to talk to you about it anyway. Uh, it's where all of those go. And so I'm dipping in and out of that club, which is the, the titles are so useful and good. And the discussion is pretty interesting. And then, oh, right. Loyalty Bookstore has a anti-racist book club that I will leave links to these in the show notes by the way. Uh, And that has been super helpful in putting titles in front of my face that I think I might otherwise have missed in all of the like buzzy title noise. So I have big appreciation for for those two clubs. Oh, and the second part of the question is, do you have any non-book recommendations for us? Like literally anything that's not a book? (laughs) I was like, like, what does this mean? Not like podcast, TV, movie? Content? Like, does it need Food? to be content? Like, yeah. recipes? Like, uh, clothing brands? YouTube like, channels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> clothing brands would be... Everything I'm wearing right now is from Target. <laughs> is that right? That's right. I don't know. I don't know. Pick, I... pick a thing to recommend, Amanda. Oh, That's God, not a book. A Let's do it that way. No. Oh, okay. Put, actually, I'm... I can. I can. I can. My Instant Pot. I have an Instant oh. Pot 
that is also an air fryer. And it is amazing for football season because it makes way better. The air fryer part makes way better wings than a deep fryer. And then you can instant pot the chili. And then what else do you need? The answer is nothing. So (laughs) I didn't use it at all during the summer. I think because the instant pot is like very soupy, stewy kind of oriented. But the air fryer is amazing. Also, air frying is the correct way to reheat food. Mm. Like fry, like French fries or anything that was fried. Pizza. You want to put it in the air fryer. Anyway, so if you can find a combo, I mean, obviously they exist because I got one for Christmas, but a combo Instant Pot air fryer, your fall, especially if you're a football person, will be set. I guess I'm also going to give a fall adjacent recommendation. I just made the Smitten Kitchen pumpkin loaf recipe and added chocolate chips to it because obviously, I think it's a huge oversight that there are not chocolate chips in it already, to be quite frank. Um, But it is a great recipe. It always comes out exactly right, even though I randomly substitute gluten-free flour for it. Uh, So I highly recommend that recipe specifically. I will leave a link in the show notes because pumpkin is the best flavor. (laughs) The end. The end. And that's it. We did it. We did all of the Ask Us Anything questions. Thank you all for sending all of those in. This was super fun. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I think, hopefully, yeah, it was it was a good time. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> we'll be back to our regularly scheduled actually answering your book questions next, next week. week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was nice to have the break. Uh, and I read some other things that you will hear about on the Hansel. That's the through line of this episode. Thanks also go out to our audio editor, Jen Zink, who is the best. Mm-hmm. Thank you again for listening. If you would like more book recommendations, you can get those at bookriot.com. You can also find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. We have a whole bunch. We do. And speaking of podcasts, if you would leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, we would be super grateful. We think it helps other people to find the show. And we do like to see the feedback. Thanks go out to our sponsors for making the show possible. And in between shows, you can find us on social media sometimes. Amanda, where are you? (laughs) I'm on Instagram at, what is it? I'm Amanda Nelson. (laughs) Lordy. I think I'll probably come back just because I find myself wanting to talk about fall with the internet. So I will I will eventually come back from social media hiatus, at which point I will likely be on Twitter and or Tumblr, Jen IRL, J-E-N-N-I-R-L, and or Instagram, I am Jen IRL. And we will talk to you next time. <laughs>